0: You guys can turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 3 uh, and we're going to be ending the chapter in verses 14 through 21. Uh, we're looking at a message uh, this morning entitled Above and Beyond. Uh, we finally are getting to the end of kind of that, um, that first part of the book of Ephesians of what God has done for us. And Paul is going to end it uh, with once more sharing his desire and prayer with the Ephesian believers. And so the message today is above and beyond. And the reason the message is entitled above and beyond, because this is what God desires to do in our life, to expand our understanding and experience of who he is And so Paul has talked about a lot of different teachings, a lot of different doctrines, all that God has done. Uh, But now he shares with them this prayer, this prayer that he wants for them. And it's essentially that they would have more of God in their life. And so this prayer that we're about to dive into and look at um, is going to be, I believe, a model, a pattern for us to take for our own lives and pray for ourselves. In a sense, you can look at today uh, and and this prayer of Paul's as a daily prayer over your own life. And you're going to notice the the contents in in just a moment. You know, God is so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. We are going to be 10,000 years into eternity And at that point, we'll have only scratched the surface with the greatness of God. Why? Because God is infinite. Have you ever heard that word before? Infinite, never ending, no beginning, no end, right? The Bible says that God is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. You and I are not infinite. Does anyone know what we are? Finite. Finite, exactly. We are finite, meaning that we had a beginning, Now, our lives will continue to go on even past this uh, temporary life into eternity, but we all had a beginning. God is infinite. He's infinitely big, and you and I will forever get to know more and more who he is, but even now, being these finite beings, sinful and all that we have and deal with, God would invite us in. And he would say today, I believe what God will be asking each one of us is, do you want to see me more? Because God wants to show us himself and we can lean in and see. And so we're going to read this prayer. Uh, do you guys remember back in chapter one, we actually, Paul, Paul shared a prayer with the Ephesians? So it's kind of interesting. In the book of Ephesians, six chapters, there's two prayers recorded. The end of chapter one is all about knowledge, uh, but an experiential knowledge, and this prayer uh, predominantly revolves around love and is, is all about not just knowing that God loves you, but experiencing it. And so let's, let's uh, without further ado, let's, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter three, we're gonna be in verses 14 uh, through 21. And I want you to notice kind of the language that that indicates to us that what is being said is a prayer. And it is something that you and I can then take and adopt to pray for our own lives. Because I don't know about you, but I want to pray like Paul. And I would think if if God has seen fit to place this in the scripture, in his eternal word, uh, then when we pray scripture, we know we pray according to God's word. So if you ever, you're like, I don't know what to pray. Pick up God's word, Go to prayers of the Bible, go to just the Bible in general, pray it, and you can know it's praying according to God's word. Let's let's start in verse 14. The Bible says this, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, that includes you and I, forever and ever, amen. Let's pray. God, we are here this morning to hear from you and as we study your word and you've shared with us this prayer, Lord, would we take it as our own? Lord, would we pray this over the, the lives of, of those that are close to us? And Lord, would we pray it over our own life, that you might fill us with the fullness of who you are. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, you can take a seat. So hopefully within our reading, you notice, okay, this is Paul praying. How do we know that? Well, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees. He's not bowing his knees because, you know, his legs are tired, and so he's getting on his knees. No, this is this is to indicate to us that what he is about to talk about is his desire that God would do in their lives. I want you guys to look in your Bibles and notice there in verse 16. He says that he would grant you. So Paul is praying to God the Father. He's praying about you, which in this case would be the Ephesians, but we can take it as our own this morning. And he says that he wants God to grant something. What do you guys think it means to, to, to grant something to someone? Yeah. Yeah, to give to them. So normally when we think of grant, like, you know, access granted, right? Uh, it's, to, it's to give over. But, but this word is actually even more expansive than that. Paul isn't just praying, "God would you give them?" He's saying, "God would you make them become." This word grant there, if you are taking notes, you can note down that it means to it means to cause to be, to make, not only to give, but it's more expansive than just that. And so, as we dive into this, I want to show you the end before we get into the contents of the prayer. In a moment, we're going to look at the, there's four parts, there's four things, four separate topics that go together that Paul is going to pray over their lives. But I want to point you to the end before we get to the beginning, because I think it's going to help us have some context. Notice verse 20 and 21. Paul is no longer now just praying for them. The the request side of it is done, but then notice what he says. Verse twenty he says, "Now to him, who do you think the him is talking about? God. Now to God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory." This is awesome. So Paul's basically he, he gets through his request, he prays, and then he kind of looks up to God in a sense, and he has something called a doxology. Doxology is a, is, a, is a word that means a, a short hymn, if you will. It, it's a short kind of addition to a prayer. Uh, this is a prayer that actually can be, be repeated in a way. Maybe you've heard the word benediction. It's, it's a closing. Those two words kind of describe what's being said here. But look what he says. He says, God, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly, that, that was a, a word that Paul is trying to say above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. And so I want to set the tone in this way, that as we get into these requests, the Bible declares to us that before you ever pray anything, that God is not only able but he is desiring to do above what you can ask and even what you can think of. The Bible says that eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Meaning that whenever we come to God in prayer, God is desiring to do above and beyond and it's all, notice, for his glory. And that's what we gotta get. What are the prayers that God answers? They are the prayers that give him glory. The Bible describes that God is jealous for his own glory. From the Garden of Eden to the Garden of uh, the the Paradise that we see in in the, the last chapter of Revelation, God throughout history is after his glory. And so that's why, have you ever read those verses like Jesus said, John said, that if you pray anything according to my name, According to the will of God, it'll be done for you. What are the prayers that God answers? God answers the prayers that give him glory, okay? So we always gotta keep that in mind. And so I want you guys again to take what we're about to learn as a daily prayer. And you're gonna notice it has nothing to do with the physical circumstances of your life. Should we pray about the physical circumstances of our lives? Definitely. Included within our prayer should be prayer for things, physical things that we go through, meaning situational, whether it's school, whether it's family, uh, whether it's friends, whether it's hard things, good things, for sure. But according to what we see biblically modeled, that should always be second. God is always more concerned for the spiritual than he is the physical first. Now, what you'll know if you walk with Jesus for any amount of time, it is the spiritual which impacts the physical. That's why Jesus would say things like, out of the abundance of the heart, meaning the internal person, not your physical heart, but out of the abundance of your soul and spirit, your mouth speaks, meaning What's happening on the inside affects what's on the outside. And so when we only pray for things that are physical in nature, we are only addressing the symptom. It's like going to the doctor with a broken leg and him putting a Band-Aid on the bone that is broken. Is that going to help? No, it'll have the appearance of help, but the issue is actually what's on the inside. And so there's an order to things. We must be more focused on the spiritual. Should we pray for physical things? Absolutely. This is what that prayer in Ephesians 1 is teaching us and what we find here in chapter three. And so what I want you guys to look at, these four requests that we're going to look at as a staircase. Do you guys know what a staircase is? Okay, a staircase, this is a very small staircase. So you guys can see there's stairs leading up to the stage, okay? Anyone live in a two-story house? Okay, you guys, if you, I'm assuming that you don't have an elevator. I would think you have stairs, right? And so I want you guys to think about these requests as a staircase, meaning that they are leading somewhere. We're gonna start with the first step, which leads into the second step. They are not separate from each other. They go together and they lead somewhere. And the, and the last request is the culmination of where those steps are trying to get you. It's going to make sense, but just think about it in that way um, and uh, we'll see what happens. So the first step on the staircase of this prayer is strength for the inner man. Paul prays for inner strength. Paul prays for inner strength. And this is something that we should pray for. Now we're going to notice here, look at verse 16 says to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And so we see that the location is on the inside and the source is the spirit of God. Paul was always concerned about the inner man, as he called it. He called it a few different things, new man, inner man, Uh, And again, man is just the idea of mankind. So you put inner man, inner woman, the inner person. And he asked that God first would strengthen them on the inside. And Paul cared about the inner person most because this is what God cares about most. Do our outward bodies matter? Yes, they, they do matter. Do they matter the most? No. What's more important, body care or soul care? But that doesn't make body care not important. You should brush your teeth. We're all hoping you did this morning. You should brush your hair. Some of you still haven't done that yet today. You need to be wearing deodorant, okay? You're in junior high. If you're not wearing deodorant yet, ask your mom to go to Target and she'll buy you some deodorant, okay? That should be happening. Normal self-care, okay? You shouldn't always be eating cookies, all right? There should be a time and place for that. And I'm talking to myself here, okay? Now listen, should we take care of our outward bodies? Absolutely. Um, And we we should seek to strengthen our outward bodies, meaning we should be taking my vitamins. Again, I'm teaching... I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. Uh, we should be taking care of our bodies. But should we be more concerned about the physical than the spiritual? No. They don't, they don't uh, negate one another, meaning, oh, I'm, oh, yeah, I actually decided not to brush my teeth anymore. I'm just so spiritual. No, you're disgusting, okay? Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. He says, for bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Notice what Paul says. He says bodily exercise. He says it profits a little, meaning it is profitable. He doesn't say it profits nothing. He says that's good. He says strengthen your body. You're going to need that because that's what I'm going to use as my ambassador, as my mouthpiece. We should seek to take care of ourselves that we might be useful to God. Because we are not useful to God on this planet if we are bedridden. Now, we are, but it's in a different way. We can be more useful to him when we take care of ourselves, right? If we die early because we were playing around in the street and not paying attention to our physical bodies, then we're going to be in heaven, okay? And no one else can hear about Jesus through us. Does that make sense? Now, but godliness, that's focused on the inward of being more like Jesus, is profitable for all things, not just this life, but even for the life to come. Now, the difference is this. If you wanna be physically stronger, what are some things that you have to do? Work out, okay? Eat right, right? You could work out, but if you don't have any protein, then it's not gonna help you too much, right? There's, There's a lot of different things. Now, contrary to that, the physical body is, is really focused on, like, you, you have to put in the work. For spiritual strength, inner strength, it's not about things that you, that, that you do. Now, it includes things you do, but the power itself comes from the Spirit. Notice what the verse says, verse 16. It comes through the Spirit. Now, how do you access the Spirit in your life, though? Well, it's to do spiritual things. It's to pray, of course. It's to read your Bible. It is to obey. It is through worship, the gathering of God's people. But those things, like giving the Bible, isn't reading it, isn't what is giving you strength. Like what? Praying. That's not giving you spiritual strength. It is the pathway that allows the Spirit of God to come into your life. It's in a sense, I want you to see those things as a door, okay? When you're ra- reading, when you're praying, when you're obeying, when you're doing the spiritual disciplines that the Bible talks about, it's not like when, when you do that, you know, you're coming away from the reading of God's word because the words on the page did something. It is the spirit of God through it. It is the door, listen, it's the door that allows God to give you what you need. What you need in life more than anything is is that inward spiritual renewal, which happens to the spiritual disciplines that all of us have been taught, that have been told about. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Okay? Bad news? We're all dying. Okay? Perishing. Good news. Yet the inward man is being renewed, strengthened day by day. But how does that happen? It doesn't just happen passively. It happens as we open the door of spiritual disciplines, as we read, as we pray. Why do do we do those things? Because it opens a door for the spirit to to strengthen our life. Not physically physically but spiritually. And so what does this inner strength lead to? Well, we'll get to that in a moment, but this is a prayer that I wanna encourage you guys to begin to pray. When you get up in the morning, you pray this, God, would you strengthen me through the spirit? I need strength to obey you today. I need strength to go through. I have physical things that I'm doing, but I pray that you you would strengthen me inwardly because that's what you need. When you're going through something difficult, Uh, or you're trying to obey what God has called you to do, physical strength is going to do very little for you, but spiritual strength is going to be what you need. And so this inner strength uh, leads to the dwelling of Christ in your hearts. This is the next step on the staircase of prayer, uh, which is for the dwelling of Christ within that inner person. Now, first glance, this seems to be a reference to salvation. But if, if so, then this should have been the first prayer request. Because before you can have inner strength by the Spirit, you've got to have Jesus dwelling in your heart. And that's what makes me to believe that this is not a reference to the moment of salvation. So you guys have been, uh, I, I hope you've heard, you've been taught that right at the moment of salvation... The Spirit of Christ, Jesus, right, dwells in your heart. Maybe as a kid, you were taught, taught, you know, you ask for forgiveness, you confess your sins, and Jesus comes to live in your heart, right? That's a very biblical idea. It really is. And there's that moment where it's, it's true that there's a moment of salvation where Jesus moves in. I don't think this is just talking about that. Because it's already been established that the people he's writing to are saints. They are people that already have Jesus living. So what does it mean that he says this? Look at, look at your Bibles. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, note this down. This word dwell, it, it means not only to live in and reside in, and that's the idea of salvation, but it also has this implication. It, it carries the idea to settle down and feel at home in. You guys ever moved before? Moved to a new house? You know, at first, maybe if you have grown up in a house and that was, you know, the place that you were used to, it feels like nowhere else will ever be home. Like even if you move somewhere else, that first place will always be like your actual home. But then what happens over time? You move into that new house and you begin to settle in. What feels foreign starts to become familiar. You guys uh, check out that new song that we sang today, Resurrender. Man, there's an awesome lyrics in there. One of them was this. Did you guys catch it when it said, make us a people where you delight to dwell? Make us a people where you delight to dwell. I think that actually fits the idea here so much. It's one thing for Christ to be in you. It's another thing for that to be familiar for him. Is Jesus, he's, okay, if you're a believer, he's in you, yes? Is he comfortable being in you? I think that's kind of the question, that Christ would dwell, that he would make his, himself at home. That there wouldn't be, you know, when you're home, there's no where you can't go. That, that you have you have complete access. When you have a home that is yours, it's one thing for Jesus to just rent a room. And I think for some Christians, they act as if Jesus just kind of is a stranger that comes in and out. Like, yeah, he's just, he, has the, he has the back room. Like, yeah, we, we leave that for him. But you see, Jesus desires not just the spare room. Spare oom, um, as the uh, Chronicles of Narnia would say. But he, he desires the whole house. That's why he says that he bought you at a price. It's been said before, and I love the saying, if Christ is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Have you guys heard that before? If Christ is not Lord at, of all, then he is not Lord at all. At all meaning meaning that you got to give him access to everything, and so I think this prayer that Christ would dwell in their hearts is that that it would it would move from just being this foreign person, it it would start to become familiar. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's not about Jesus just being in. He wants to be all in. And I love this language that Jesus says, we as the Trinitarian God, it's not just Jesus in your heart. It's not just the Holy Spirit in your heart. I believe it is the triune God that lives in us. And he doesn't just want to be there. He wants to be there. He wants to be all there. He wants to make his home, begin to to lay out his his things in a way. And I think this is something that we should adopt, that, that we can pray this daily, not only for that inner strength, God, but God, would you strengthen me that my heart, My life might be a place that you can settle in. You know, it's possible by our actions to grieve God. The Bible says that that we as Christians who sin against God and in an unconfessed way, that it can actually deeply sadden and move God. But God wants in our hearts to, again, make himself at home. Does that make sense? Do you guys see the difference? And so I think that's a good thing for we to, uh, us to pray. God, would you, would, you not, would you be all in? Would you be the Lord of all? And uh, notice, though, it is through faith. you guys see that? Look at verse 17, the very first part, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, it takes faith to believe that God dwells in us, right? Can you go to the doctor and ask for an exam, ask for an x-ray, ask for a... Um, an MRI to see where exactly Jesus is in your body? No, you can't. It's not a physical thing. And so we got to not only accept that fact by faith, but then move forward in faith. Okay. So the third stair uh, is this. The third stair is a big step. And Paul prays that from this, from, not, that's not it. There you go. Boom. Uh, the third is that we would grasp God's love. And again, these, this is, a, this is all coming to a, a point. The inner strength, the dwelling of Christ. And when those things are solidified within our life, then we can begin to grasp, comprehend the greatness of the love of God. I think a good prayer for us to pray would be, show me more of your love. And I wonder, in a room this size, if we, uh, up on the screen, you know, we picked a person, and uh, up on the screen was the last week of, of your prayers, your connection with God. What kind of things would be up there? I wonder if, if it would be within this realm. If not, then we need to start adopting the way that Paul prayed, and we need to pray, God, show me more of your love. That is a great prayer to pray. You don't know what to pray? I'm, I'm giving you, you just already, you are number three. Okay, show me your love. Notice what he says. His prayer for them was that you being rooted and grounded in love, solidified in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So within this topic of love, Paul asked that God would root and ground them in love. This idea of rooted and grounded, it's two words that mean the same thing. I'll tell you why in a moment. Well, why why use two words? Because it's given an illustration. It's, it's, It's helping us understand what Paul's asking. Paul's asking that they would be established in God's love, meaning that they would be solidified. You know the story that Jesus tells at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? when he says that he who listens to my word and obeys is like the man who built his house on a rock. And so when the storms came, the house was unshaken because it was founded upon a rock. That's what this word grounded means. It means to be solidified. Paul's asking, God, would you solidify them in your love? But there's, there's kind of two, two illustrations here. Rooted, what do you think that's in reference to? Rooted. Don't overthink it. Tree? Root. Yeah, okay. Tree. Yeah. Think about a plant. It's the picture of how roots would, would be fixed down deep that a tree might not be moved. Grounded is another picture that means the same thing, but it, rather than talking about agriculture, it's architecture. It's talking about a, a building, how a building would have a foundation that would go deep into the ground so that so that when things happen, it would be... Uh, solidified. And so Paul desired that the love of God would make them strong. That's a good prayer for us to pray. God, would you make me strong in your love? That no matter what I face today, would I be able to lean on your love? Knowing that you love me, God, would that be enough for me? Oh, I got bad news. Oh, this happened. Oh, she said this. Oh, he did that. God, would you just, would you help me stay right within the love of God. In the book of Jude, Jude says to keep yourself in the love of God. And I think we do that by meditating on how great it is. And that's what kind of comes next. He says, next, look at verse, uh, verse 18 there. You guys have your Bibles open still? Okay. The solidification moves to comprehension. Verse 18 says, may be able to comprehend. Ever say comprehend. With all the saints was the width, length, depth, height to know the love of Christ. He wants them to begin to grasp. This word to comprehend, it means to grasp intellectually and experientially. Meaning to know, but also to take hold of. And we've talked about that difference when we talked about that first prayer in the book uh, in the in the first chapter of Ephesians. This word comprehend, uh, it's the same word that we see in this verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Do you guys see that word obtain? Do you have any runners in here? Okay. So when you run, you run to win. And he's using a spiritual example that doesn't necessarily have to do with what we're talking about, but he says, run in such a way that you may obtain or comprehend. It's not just about knowing, but 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 grabbing onto. It's this picture that God is saying, I want you to see more. I want you to obtain, to comprehend, grasp what my love is for you. But notice he does say that this pursuit is not, Singular, but plural. Notice what he says there, verse 18. To comprehend with all the saints. With all the saints. That's with all the people of God. We are to pursue grasping onto the love of God, but not by ourselves. There's a lot of people that will say, well, I'm a Christian, I just just don't need to go to church. I kind of just love God on my own. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? Yes. True. Right? You're not saved by going to church. You guys know that, right? Nor, does saving, nor will you be saved because you're here at church. Salvation has nothing to do with church attendance. But it does have to do with any kind of growth. Your growth will be stunted you will actually, what I believe Paul's saying here is you won't actually be able to see the, and experience the fullness of God's love outside of the church and the community and people of God. Uh, of God. You'll, ha- you'll have uh, something missed there. You will not be able to experience all the love of God that God wants to extend towards you when you are outside of the church, right? It's like, it's like kind of like this, right? Um, people that say, I love God, I just don't go to church. Can that happen? Yes. Can I be married and never go home? Technically, yes. Is that relationship going to be good? No. no. And so we're told here, with all the saints, right? With all the saints. And, and what, what, what are we trying to comprehend? We're trying to comprehend the width, length, depth, and height of God's love for us. We're given four dimensions. We're given four aspects that we are to think about God's love. Width, length, depth, and height. Now, what, what are these things talking about? Well, width, okay, that is the, the, the measurement of, of something from side to side. It's how wide. He wants us to know how wide God's love is, he wants us to know how long God's love is. This is a, to, from a, a linear, lin, linear gosh, linear extent from, from one side to another. So you got, you, got, you got right width and length. But then you also this is kind of interesting. He adds depth here. He wants you to know how deep his love is. How far does God's love really go? It's that same word, this word depth. Do you guys know about the parable of the sower? You know, when Jesus says the sower goes and casts, just remember that one seed where it lands and then Jesus says that it had no depth of earth or soil. That's that word. it's, It's depth in that way. And then height. This is of course the distance from the base of something to the top. How high? How wide? How long? How deep? And how high? The love of God. Meaning that God's love, listen, is not just a feeling. It's measurable. Now, we will never get to the end of it, kind of like how I begun. We'll never get to the point where like, okay, I finally know and experience all of God's love. No, because he's infinite. His love is infinite. But we can begin to see part of it. We can be able to grasp some of it because it's not just a theory. It has been Shown, It's been demonstrated, and it was demonstrated at the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for this. I believe it is as we look at the cross of Jesus that we begin to see the love of God. That one of the things that we can pray, we can say, God, show me more of your love. And you know where God's gonna point you? He's gonna point you back to the cross. And as we meditate and think about what Jesus did, the more we meditate, the more, the higher we see God's love is. The deeper we see it go, the longer we see it extend. It's been quoted before that the cross pointed in four ways, right? A cross. Four ways it pointed in every direction. Why? Well, because God's love is wide enough to include whosoever would believe. No one is outside of experiencing the love of God, it's that wide. God's love is long enough to last for all of eternity, God's love is deep enough to reach the worst of sinners. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven in glory. God wants us to begin to see and experience his love more and more. Notice what he says here. He, he, then, he, he ends this kind of request for love. And look at verse 19. Check this out. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. This, this for me, I had to meditate and chew on this for a little bit the love of Christ that passes knowledge. The, the idea of passes here, it means to go beyond, to, to be, to exceed, to, to be much greater. It's not that you can't know the love of Christ. It's that it doesn't stop there. It passes knowledge. It goes beyond and, and knowledge is only the beginning of God's love. Are you guys, are you guys following me today? Yeah. It's like this. The only reason that you and I know God's love is because of the knowledge of God's word. And so everyone has to start there. You can't, no one can start with experiencing God's love before they know God's love. And so it starts in the mind. It starts with, with that moment that you recognize what God did for you And so what do you do? You choose, it's your will, your mind who places your faith in Jesus. But that's not the end of it. It's not just about knowing more. It moves on past that. You see, there comes to a place where words simply fail and information falls short. Listen, guys, I can only tell you so much about God's love. I could talk with you guys for days about it. Don't get me wrong. I could tell you that God's love for you is everlasting. There's gonna be no end. Five million years into eternity, God's love will not end. God's love for you is unseparating. I don't even think that's a word. The Bible describes that, that, that it is his love that you will, because of his love, that you will never be separated from God. God's love is, um, it's initial, meaning that he's the one that chose to love you. And we love him because he first loved us. We could go on and on, but there comes a point, guys, where words and information can only go so far. Then you have to step in and experience the love of God, which is something that I can't describe for you. I can lead you to the water but you got to drink it. You see, we can never know his love exhaustively. We're never gonna get to this point where we're like, okay, like I said, but we can know it truly. We know a little bit now, and we can experience it day by day as we allow him access to our lives. You know, when you, when you go to a theme park, maybe for the first time, you gradually get to know the fullness of that park, Right? You come in, you're like, okay, this is pretty cool, and then you, and then you maybe are given a map, and so you move from one place to another, and moment by moment, gradually, the the fullness of the park starts to become realized to you. The map can only tell you so much, but then you taste the incredible corn dog, then you taste the cotton candy, the. the the dole whip soft serve, that you go on the the roller coaster, you experience the thrill, you experience the fun, that there's kind of this gradual, the more that you get into the park, the more you realize how awesome it is. And so the question today is, do you only know the love of God? Or can you say today that you've experienced God's love? Someone who's who is an unbeliever, can mark down on a piece of paper facts about God's love. They never experienced it. And so you ask God, you say, God, I wanna, I wanna experience your love. I wanna know it more, fuller, deeper, higher. God, give it to me, all right? So now we get to the top of the staircase as we begin uh, to close our time today. The, cul- the culmination of his request, at the end of it, he wants a filling of the fullness of God. Now this is kind of a, almost a a strange way to put this. Notice what he says, the end of verse 19, okay? He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I believe this is speaking to the idea that, that God wants you to experience him. He wants you to not only know him, but to experience him, to be filled with the fullness of God. Now, it's kind of interesting. Jesus is described to us that he is the fullness of God. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead in a body. And that same Jesus, we're told, dwells in our heart. And so in a way, positionally, we already have the fullness of God in us. However, no man, no one person, no building can handle the fullness of God. Right, in the Old Testament, we know uh, that even Solomon said that what temple could hold you. He's, he's eternal. He's, he's bigger than we can imagine. But God says, I want to fill you up. It's kind of like if you go to the ocean and you take a cup. And you fill that cup all the way to the brim. Now, the the ocean is in that cup, right? But there's still a whole lot more ocean. Now, that is only, uh, that's that's a bad picture of what's really being said here. Because God says, I want to be all in. And so we should pray for this. We should pray, God, fill me with all of your fullness. God, I don't want to miss any part of who you are. Are God wants to fill all in all in your life. But listen, that that determination of how full you are with God is up to you. You, in a sense, have the, the nozzle. You control how much of God is in your life. Maybe some of you today you feel far from God. It's not because God is far from you, it's because you have chosen to be far from Him. You see, God will be as close to you as you want. And so we got to pray. We got to pray not just for, again, the physical needs. Those are important. But out of this, this fills our every need. And so I want to challenge and encourage you guys. You don't know what to pray. Your prayer life is, is maybe minimal to non-existent. You go before God. You find a quiet place. Pray with your parents. That's great. Pray with your siblings. Pray with your dog. I don't care. But you go and have that time when it's just you and him and you open up to Ephesians chapter three and you pray. You say, God, would you give me that inner spiritual strength? God, I want you to dwell in every crevice of my life. God, I want to know your love. I experience. I don't want to just know about it. I want to I experience it. And God, would you fill me with the fullness of who you are? Amen? Father, we thank you that we can pray to you, that you have given us that boldness and access through faith. And so God, we pray these things. Lord, I pray these things over my life and over these students here and leaders and worship and Mr. Ray, the sound guy in the back. Lord, everyone here, God, we pray that you would strengthen us in the inner man, that we might be able to have all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. God, we ask that you would, would find your home in our hearts. Lord, if there's anything uncovered that you would uncover, we give you absolute access to every room. God, we, we, we wanna be able to, to see and experience the fullness of your love. And God, we pray that you would fill us with the fullness of God, that we might press in We might go deeper into our relationship with you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.